0: Hey, how are you doing this weekend? Good. I'm excited about it being the weekend, too. Hey, I'm Jeff Surratt. And as Greg said in the opening, I'm his brother. There's nothing either of us can do about that. So we just kind of hang on to it. I want to welcome those of you who are at one of our other campuses. And uh, uh, (laughs) my brain just went blank. It's been three years. I don't even know where the campuses are. In other places not here, hi. Um, It's good to be with you. Uh, We are back uh, this time every year for a couple of reasons. One, uh, our granddaughter, our oldest granddaughter, her birthday was yesterday, so we were here for her third birthday party, so that's fun. The other reason we like to come back this time of year is is it's uh, baseball playoff season, and as always, the Cardinals are in the playoffs and the Cubs are not. And so I come to just share that warmth with Greg, because... as you know, he's a Cubs fan, and I'm a Cardinals fan, so this is just kind of a, a family time. But he, this year, decided to go to Colorado while I was in uh, Carolina. My wife and I live in, uh, live in Denver now. She's CEO of Mops International, and we, uh, for those of you who are new to the church uh, we were on staff here at Seacoast for about 14 years and then moved away about three years ago. So I love coming back and love being here with family and friends and just being with you guys. When I heard that, uh, when they asked me to speak, I was really, really honored. It's so such an honor to speak here at Seacoast and, and to be at this church. And I said, so what's the series? They said, Finding and Keeping the Love of Your Life. I said, that's awesome. I'm, I'm married to the love of my life. We've been married for 31 years and that'd be great. They said, what's the specific topic that you want me to talk about and they said, uh, dating, and I said, well, that could be a challenge because you see, I have not dated an unmarried woman for 31 years. <laughs> in fact, the last woman I married that I, uh, that I dated that I wasn't married to, I married her, and she was 19 years old at the time. And I don't know if you know this, but it turns out that dating has changed a little bit over the last 31 years. So, so to tell you what it was like back in the 1800s when I dated, <laughs> This is how dating worked back then. You would meet a cute girl, and you would ask her for her phone number. You see, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, no Twitter, no internet, no mobile phones, electricity, we were still cranking to use that, so it was a a long time ago. So you'd ask for her phone number, and then you'd write it down on something called a piece of paper. And you would hang on to that, and then you would call her home phone. How many of you remember when there was such thing called a home phone? Remember that? So what a home phone was, it was this huge appliance, and you rented it from the phone company because there was only one phone company, right? And a lot of homes only had one of these. And so when you called that one, that means the whole family kind of gathered around, and they could all hear your conversation. Other families had two or three of these home phones, and you guys know what that meant. That meant when you talked to a girl on the phone her mother listened on the other line, right? Yeah. You could hear the little click when she picked up. Exactly. So you would call her house to see if you could uh, go on a date, but, but her dad would answer the phone. And so then you would have to ask her dad if you could talk to his daughter if you got through that gate. Then you'd talk to her, and you would say, hey, would you go on a date with me? How about if I pick you up at 7 o'clock Friday night? Then you would drive to her house, and then She would not be ready, so you would come in and you'd sit in the living room and have a really uncomfortable conversation (laughs) with her mom and dad. (laughs) By the way, dads, you might want to write this down. It's the best thing you'll get today. Um, A friend of mine gave me the best line ever for a dad when he meets a young man who wants to date his daughter. And here's the line. You look him right in the face and you say, son, there's something you need to understand. I'm not afraid to go back to prison. Okay? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So don't say you didn't get anything worthwhile out of church this weekend. There you go. So eventually the young lady would come out. You would go out to dinner. You would, you would maybe go to a movie or go to a ball game and then you'd bring her back home and then you'd actually get out of your car and you would walk her to the door and you would stand on the porch. But if you stood on the porch or the front deck too long, what would happen? Exactly. The lights would flash on and off. I think it was something the electrical comp- electric company built it in. I don't know. And if you lingered long after that, then her mom would come out to check and see if you were okay there on the front porch. And that's what a date looked like back when I dated. Well, I was studying up for this message, and it turns out things are not quite like that anymore. In fact, I found an article uh, that the New York Times ran a few weeks ago called uh, The End of Courtship. And here's what it says. Dating culture has evolved to a cycle of text messages, each one requiring the code-breaking skills of a Cold War spy to interpret. (laughs) It's one step below a date and one step above a high five. Dinner at a romantic new bistro, forget it. Women in their 20s these days are lucky to get a last minute text to tag along. Raised in the age of so-called hookup culture, millennials who are reaching an age where they are starting to think about settling down are subverting the rules of courtship. Instead of dinner and a movie, which seems as obsolete as a rotary phone, they rendezvous over phone texts, Facebook posts, instant messages, and other non-dates that are leaving a generation confused about how to to land a boyfriend or a girlfriend. So I want to talk about dating this weekend. But I don't, I'm don't. i not coming to you pretending to be a dating expert. That would, be a, that would be just so odd that a 51-year-old married guy would try to tell you how to date and what a date should be like. I have no clue. Okay, But here's what I do want to do today. I want to talk to you from the perspective of a dad and a grandfather. You see, I have two beautiful little granddaughters that someday they will date and I'd love to talk to them and the men they'll date. And I have a 22-year-old daughter, gorgeous daughter. She used to play guitar here at the Long Point campus, and and she is at a dating age. And so today what I'd like to do is just think of her sitting at the table with me and me and Brittany having a conversation about the mindset of dating and what she needs to know about herself and what uh, the young men need to know and what she needs to know about them. And that's what I want to share with you. Now, to help you out, if I were sitting in the audience right now, I might be thinking, well, you know, this really doesn't apply to me, I, I'm married, I'm not dating, I'm, this isn't my deal, and that, that may be true, but here's the audience that I am thinking of. Some of you are single, some of you are uh, dating, maybe you uh, are, are, are younger and you're dating, maybe you're, you're divorced, you've never married and you're dating, and, and you're part of the, the, the target audience today. Some of you have sons or daughters that either date now or someday they will, or maybe you have grandchildren that will at someday be at the dating age, How many of you would fit into one of those categories, one of those, okay? So this most of us. So so whatever hat fits, put that hat on. Maybe this is information for you today. Maybe this is information you want to pass on to your children at the appropriate time or your grandchildren at the appropriate time. But but that's the perspective as we talk about finding and keeping the love of your life and and what does healthy dating look like. Before we dive into that, would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you again, one more time, for just the chance to share this weekend. What a, what a uh, just amazing opportunity. Lord, I pray today that you will uh, speak through me, Lord, that you will use my mind and my words to share your truth. And Lord, I pray that um, eyes will be opened and lives will be healed today. And Lord, that's my prayer in, in your name. Amen. There's one scripture, actually one part of one scripture, I want to focus on today is kind of our, our bedrock, our cornerstone, as we think about this idea of dating. And it's on your outline sheet, it's on the screen. And I'd love for you, if you wouldn't mind, just to read this uh, scripture out loud with me. It's Ephesians 2.10. Can we read this out loud together? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let's read that first sentence again. Let's say this together. For we are God's masterpiece. That's the deal. That's what we have to understand. That sets the the stage for what dating will and will not look like in a healthy environment, is for us to first understand we are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Now, I have a confession to make this morning, and this is something I really haven't shared in public ever before. But the truth is, I actually, and this is hard to say out loud, especially with so many friends here, but I love art. I I know, I know, it's embarrassing. It it, it makes me not very manly, I get that. You very seldom meet someone who loves NASCAR, country music, and art, but that's who I am. When Sherry and I travel together, one of the things we love to do is when we go to a new city, we love to find the art museum. And so we've gone to art museums in New York and Chicago and Los Angeles and Denver, across the country. We've even been, ab- been able to travel a little bit in Europe and have seen art museums over there. And One of the highlights for us was going to the Louvre. Now, if you don't know what the Louvre is, for art lovers, the Louvre is like the Daytona 500. Okay, it's like, it's like the best of the best. And so we went to the Louvre. It's huge. We wandered through it and saw sculpture and paintings from all all periods of time, and and then we came in one room, and very crowded with people, and paintings along the walls, but right in the middle of the room was one painting hung on a wall all by itself, but there was a huge crowd around this painting, and there were security guards, there were cameras, all focused on this one piece of art, and so we began to get closer and kind of elbowed our way through the crowd, and as we got up, as soon as we could see the painting, we immediately recognized the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa, the most famous painting, the most best the best uh, most well-known painting in the world, they're hanging in the Louvre. A masterpiece. And this is what you have to grasp today is the way that the world feels about the Mona Lisa is exactly how God feels about you. You are as valuable, as important, as precious as the Mona Lisa. Now, that's a, hard, that's a hard concept to grasp because you don't feel that way. You don't think that way. You, you say, I'm not, I'm not a masterpiece. I'm not a work of art. I'm not, I'm not beautiful. I'm not tall. I'm not smart. I'm not whatever. And that's not the truth. <clears throat> that's not reality. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter whether you think you are a masterpiece or not. The scripture said, the word says, that you are God's, you don't belong to yourself, and you are his masterpiece. You see, your self-image can be way off. Um, one of the greatest artists of all time, Vincent van Gogh. I love van Gogh's art. But if you study van Gogh you realize he only painted for 10 years and he considered himself a complete failure in the 10 years that he painted he didn't sell a single painting in fact he took his own life in the end because he thought he was a loser he thought he was no good he thought no one could appreciate what he did and he died thinking he was a complete failure today A Van Gogh painting sells for more than any other painting in the world. When the one comes to auction, they go for 80, 90, 100 million dollars for a single Van Gogh. You see, what he created, even though he didn't believe it and he didn't know it, He created masterpieces and God created you as a masterpiece and so you have to drive that down into your heart before you even think about dating or relationships or courting or whatever you want to call it you have to understand who you are and you are a masterpiece now I I want to do uh, something practical here I want you to turn to your neighbor right now every one of the campuses in Somerville West Ashley wherever you are turn to your neighbor right now and say I am a masterpiece no, 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 no. Here's what I'm hearing. You don't believe it. Here's what I hear people saying. I'm a masterpiece. I'm a master. No, 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 no. Here's what I want you to say. I want you to say, I am a masterpiece. Try it again. Oh, that's awesome. Now, last night, right over here in the Long Point Auditorium, a fight broke out. I Seriously, I heard them going at each other going, I'm a masterpiece. No, I'm a masterpiece. So, it's okay, we're all masterpieces. We got to get that down deep. Hang on to that thought, okay? Because that's, 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 that's the setting. That's what we want to talk about. You're a masterpiece. So what are the implications of that? Well, because you are a masterpiece, you have to understand that a, only the master can complete a masterpiece. A masterpiece cannot complete a masterpiece, We are all works of art, but we are all works in progress. And and the masters continue to paint and to sculpt and to create us. We cannot go to another masterpiece and say, can you fix me? That would be like the Venus de Milo going to the Mona Lisa and saying, Mona Lisa, you complete me. (laughs) Oh, that's funnier than that. That is, that is, that's funny stuff. I mean, imagine, and then the Mona Lisa says, Venus de Milo, stop, stop, stop. You had me at hello. And that's funny. Okay, go watch Jerry Maguire. You'll like it. But the reality is, that's absurd. But that's why dating often goes horribly wrong. Because we turn to another person to fill a hole, to fix us, to complete us, when only God can do that. We have holes in our soul, we have uh, hurt, we have damages, we have loneliness. And we bring that into our dating relationship, hoping, or a marriage relationship, hoping that they'll be able to fix it for us. And it doesn't work that way because only the master can complete a masterpiece. 1 John 3 2 says this Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, it's not yet appeared. But here's what we know we know that when he appears, the master appears, we'll be like him because we'll she- see him as he is. The Apostle Paul puts it in very clear words. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. The master, Jesus, completes you. See, I experienced this in my own life. I have have this hole in my soul that wants to be validated. I want validation. I want people to say I'm important and, and that I matter. And though I know in my head that I should go to God with that need, I tend to turn to other people. and I turn to my wife. Um, a lot of times after I speak on a weekend, I'll, we'll be on the ride home, and if she hasn't said anything about the sermon that weekend, I'll say, well, oh, what do you think? How, how, how do you think it went? One time, one time, I said, well, how do you think it went? And she said, well, it wasn't your best. <laughs> well, I'd like to see you do better. You can figure out how that conversation went from there. That was not a strong moment in our marriage. I mean, there was, there was uh, intense, intense fellowship for quite some time over that. <laughs> Why? Because my wife was rude and mean and all that? No, not at all. She thought I was asking for feedback. She gave honest feedback. I wasn't asking for feedback. I was asking her to do something only God can do, which is to validate me. And we go into dating relationships, and we wind up, we wind up, sleeping with somebody so that we'll feel like we are complete we wind up living with someone we wind up in a in a hookup we wind up in all kinds of strange dangerous odd not God honoring relationships because we think they can complete us fix us heal us make us whole and they just can't do it See, you're a masterpiece and only a master can complete a masterpiece But because you're a masterpiece, you should be treated like one, okay? You should be treated like a masterpiece. You should expect that from others who you're dating. Um, Let's say that the Louvre decided to go through, they needed to go through some renovations, and so the, the manager called you and said, hey, I need a favor. We are renovating the Louvre, and so we need to store the Mona Lisa for a few months. We would like to store it at your house. Would that be okay? And so you accept the Mona Lisa into your house. What would you do? Would you hang the Mona Lisa over the toilet so you could see it every morning? (laughs) Would you use the Mona Lisa for a placemat while you were watching the football game? Would you tell your kids, hey, this will be fun, let's finger paint on the Mona Lisa. We'll put a little mustache on her. They'll think it's hilarious over in Paris, that'll be fun. You wouldn't do that, why? Because the Mona Lisa is a priceless masterpiece. You would protect it, you would guard it, you would keep anyone from touching it because it's so important and so valuable. Well, if you are a masterpiece, and the Bible says you are, then you should be treated as a masterpiece. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says it this way, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He lives in you, and it was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a price. Yeah, what, what are you doing, doing all this stuff that is, is degrading to you and allowing people to do things and say things and act ways toward you that is degrading? That, that, that doesn't make sense. You are God's masterpiece. He paid a huge price for you. So you should be treated that way. L- letting someone treat you in a way that is degrading is, is like using the Mona Lisa for a napkin. Uh, growing up in my house, my mom drilled a phrase into us over and over and over again. When I would say, Mom, kids are having a party, and here's what's going to go on. Can I go to that party? She'd say, no. Say, oh, Mom, Mark gets to go to the party. Why can't I go to the party? She'd say two things. Number one, I'm not Mark's mom. And number two, you're a Surrat. Surratts don't do that. Well, mom, I, I, I want to I buy this. Surratts don't do that. And I learned this is what Surratts do. This is what Surratts don't do. You are a Surratt. You are a masterpiece. There are things masterpieces do. There are places they go. There are ways they act. And there are things that they don't do, places they don't go, because you're a masterpiece. So you should be treated like a masterpiece. Other people should treat you like a masterpiece. I mean, you are valuable. You are valuable in Christ's eyes, so other people should treat you like that. They de- you deserve to be treated. They deserve to be treated. Um, you should, de- uh, the people you meet, deserve to be treated like a masterpiece, because they are. Paul Paul gives us instructions on how to treat someone like a masterpiece. In Philippians chapter 2, he says this, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. See, that's how to treat someone as a masterpiece. In fact, I'm going to give you, from that verse, straight from that verse, I'm going to give you five B's, and I'd love for you to write these down. Five B's, B-E. And these, not only is this how to treat someone as a masterpiece, but as a side thing. If you are someone who is in the dating world, this is, if you will become this person, you're irresistible, okay? Let me tell you what they are. Number one, be generous. See, Paul says, don't be selfish. Be generous. Be a generous person. Become a giving, generous person. Second, be comfortable. Paul says, don't try to impress others. Don't try to knock them out. How smart you are, how cute you are, or how funny you are. Just be comfortable with who you are. Don't try to be taller or shorter or better looking or smart. None of that stuff. Just be who you are, who God created you to be. That doesn't mean don't try to improve yourself. Sure, that's great, but be comfortable in your own skin. So be generous, be comfortable, be humble. Oh, you don't need to brag. You don't need to knock our socks off with who you are, or what you've done. Just be humble, and then be open-minded. Paul says, don't look out only for your own interests. Be open-minded. Be willing to hear about other cultures, other political thoughts, other, other backgrounds. As you meet people, um, um, just be open-minded to hear what they're, that doesn't mean you're going to become who they are or, or, be, or believe what they believe, but just be someone who, hey, tell me about that. I don't know a lot about that religion. I don't know a lot about that country. I don't, I don't know a lot about that part of the country. I don't know a lot about that occupation. I'd love to hear more. Tell me about it. So be generous, be comfortable, be humble, be open-minded, and be interested. Paul says, don't look out only only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So be interested. Think about that. Would you like to hang around with someone who is generous and comfortable and humble and open-minded and interested in what's going on in your life? Would you like to be around somebody like that? That'd be awesome. Well, be that person and treat people that way. So you're a masterpiece. Only a master can complete a masterpiece. You need to act like you're a masterpiece and treat others like their masterpieces. But we're talking dating, right? So where do you find a masterpiece? Well, I'll tell you one thing. You very seldom find a masterpiece at a garage sale, okay? Wait, 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 wait a minute. I was reading in the paper the other day, or I was reading online the other day. that a guy went to a garage sale. He bought this dusty old painting. He took it to a museum or to a friend. They looked at it. It turned out to be a genuine Van Gogh. It sold for millions of dollars. Of course you can find it at a garage sale. That's one. If you want to be an art collector by going to garage sales, let me know how that works out for you, okay? It's hard to find a masterpiece at a garage sale. It's hard to find a masterpiece at a bar, at a party. I mean, you're looking for masterpieces at a flea market, right? I mean, this is just not going to work. And yes, you can make that. People you meet there are like fleas, okay? I'm sorry, but it is. So where do you find a masterpiece? Well, a lot of people look online now. And I told you, when I was dating, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have, uh, you know, eHarmony. We didn't have any of those things. So what about, what about looking for somebody online? I don't have a problem with that at all. I think that's great. But, it's just like looking at a museum's art collection online. You can all see the, the, the uh, Mona Lisa right now. You can just pull out your phone, Google Mona Lisa, it'll show up on your phone. But to see it in person is a whole different experience. To actually see art in person is completely different than just looking at it online. So meeting someone online is fine, but that's just a two-dimensional experience. You also need to know, who you're meeting who these people are let me tell you a little bit about it. have any of you heard of a? there's a dating site now called christianmingle.com how many of you have heard of that seen the ads on tv so they did a study christian mingle commissioned a study of their the people who subscribe to their service these are people who are self-identified christians one of the things they found is they asked how many of you think it's fine to have sex before marriage 85 percent of the people said yeah that sounds fine Over 50% of them said it doesn't need to be in any type of committed relationship. Sex before marriage is fine. That's who's on christianmingle.com, self-identified Christians. Another question that they asked them was, who influences the decision of who you date? 19% of them said my pet, okay? (laughs) Oh, it gets better, it gets better. 19% of them said a religious leader, right? Pastor, pet, same, exactly the same. I could save you some time. Instead of listening to the rest of this message and my opinion about who you date, go home and ask Fido right now. Just go, go see what he says, right? So you gotta think about who am I meeting online. I'm not, I'm not against that at all. In fact, over half of, of, of marriages these days are people who first met online, that's fine. But where do you find a masterpiece? Where do you explore, uh, get to know a masterpiece? Let me give you four suggestions that if I were, if I were dating, this is where I would go. I'd go to small group. I think small group is a great place to discover a masterpiece. You get to know each other, the guard's down, it's a chance to really get to know one another. Hey, another place that I would go is, is a service project, an outreach project. Maybe volunteer at Adopt-A-Block at the Dream Center or uh, every campus has lots of um, outreach opportunities. Get involved in one of those projects. Another place would be a ministry team. Join a ministry team Get on a volunteer in children's ministry or, or First Touch or one of the dozens of ministries at any Seacoast campus. It's a great place to find a masterpiece. Go on a short-term missions trip. That's a great place to really get to know one another and really see each other in a lot of different, a lot of different environments. So those are just some places to find a masterpiece. But, but let, me, let, let me give you a caution here. It's easier to discover a masterpiece than to find a masterpiece. Here's what I mean by that. Um, One time Sherry and I went to one of the museums and there was a specific work of art that we wanted to find. Specific artist, specific piece of uh, uh, work of art. So we got one of the maps and if you've been to museums, you know that they're notoriously confusing and lots of galleries and levels and periods of time and all of that, but we knew where we wanted to go. So I'm the navigator, I'm using the map and we're going, is this this Studio A or Studio B or room 104 or 105 and I'm wandering through and it's confusing, it's driving me crazy and finally we get there, we we find the painting and I say, there's the stupid painting. See it, let's go, I'm hungry, let's go eat. I mean, not a fun experience. Other times we go to a museum and, and we don't even know what's there. We just wander in and look around. One time we were in a park in, in, in LA, in Los Angeles, and, and we didn't even know there was a museum in the park, but there was. And so we went to the museum and, and we just started walking through. And we found some stuff. It didn't appeal to me. I mean, we walked into one room and, and it was, uh, the room was white walls and on one wall was a red door. That was the art. That was the whole thing. That isn't my deal, okay? But there were other guys in there, and they were like staring at the door and amazed by it and loved it and all that. And that's fine. (laughs) I didn't stop and go, what are you, an idiot? It's a door. (laughs) Because that was the art that spoke to them. It didn't speak to me. But we wandered on through the museum. One time, Sherry and I were in Barcelona, Spain, and we had some time before our trip left. And so we were just walking through the old part of Barcelona, and we, we stumbled upon a Picasso museum. I'm not a Picasso guy. That, that doesn't make sense. I, you know, it's just my deal, not my deal. But we had some time, so we said we love museums. Let's just go into this. And so we wandered through a little bit and came around a corner, and there was this unbelievable display, not only of Picasso's work, but a slideshow explaining how he got to this and what he copied and all this kind of stuff. And fascinating. Spent an hour just learning about Picasso. Discovered a masterpiece. See, if you go into dating going okay I've got to find my soulmate I don't even know what that is I have no idea what a soulmate is gotta find my soulmate and I know that she looks like this and she has this education and she's this and then she's this and she's that and she's that and you're trying to find and you go into a small group and go "Oh, she's not here and you're gone you know I mean (laughs) but instead you approach small group or ministry team or whatever you're involved in as a discovery process and you meet somebody and you talk to them and you ask about their background and you you finally get to know each other a little bit and you're just chatting and and you might discover someone that you really connect with and there might be something that eventually becomes marriage, which is awesome, but it's not because you're on a mission, you're discovering another masterpiece of God. But then, I wanted to talk to one more thing what if you don't feel like a masterpiece? What if you say, Jeff, this all was great when I was 17 or 19 or 21, but I'm damaged goods. I've done some things, people have done stuff to me. I've been lonely, I've been hurt, I've been knocked around. I am not a masterpiece. Here's the reality. We're all restoration projects. Everyone in this room is a restoration project. If I stopped right now and said, hey, why don't we one by one just kind of share the hurts and the hang-ups, the things we've done and the things other people have done to us, the loneliness that we have inside, we'd be here all day and the next day. If I were totally honest, I would say I'm damaged goods. I'm damaged from dating. I did things I wish I never would have done. I went places I wish I never would have gone. Even today, there'll be times when I'll think, oh, and I'll remember and I'll think, I wish that never happened. Or damaged goods. In fact, scripture says this in Romans chapter three. Well, then should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. We're all damaged goods. We're all restoration projects. (laughs) And that's what makes God the master. Because that's what he does. See, any old God could take raw materials and create masterpieces, but that's not what God does. God takes damaged goods. He takes broken products. He takes rejects. He takes people that feel like they're so far gone that there's no hope for them, and he says, I can make you new. I can turn you into (laughs) a masterpiece. See, if you've been around church for a long time, you know the story of King David, right? This is a guy who pursued God, and he, he wrote the 23rd Psalm, and I mean, he was Mr. Holy, and so one day he's looking out his window and he sees that his neighbor's, next door neighbor's wife is taking a bath. And he watches her take the bath and he thinks, I want that. So he makes a couple of inquiries and gets a friend to ask a friend and he meets up with her and they wind up going to bed together and sleeping together and, and she becomes pregnant. And David doesn't know what to do then and so then he decides to cover it up and because he is powerful, he, he arranges for her husband to be killed he has her cu- husband killed, and then he pretends that the baby is his because they get married and, and, and she is pregnant. And, and then a, a prophet, a, a friend, comes and says, David, God knows what you did. You are no, there's no secret. Could you be more damaged than that? Could you have made more mistakes than that? Could you have hurt people more than what he did? He, he slept with a woman, got her pregnant, had her husband killed. That is a man who has destroyed everything that God has created in him. But David came before God and he repented. In fact, the 51st Psalm is one of the most beautiful passages of the Bible. I go back to it again and again and again when I continue to make mistakes and damage what God has given me and damage those around. This is what David said in the 51st Psalm. Purify me from my sins. I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. And after that, David is called a man after God's own heart. David is called God's masterpiece. Here's what I want you to walk away with. You are God's masterpiece. It's present tense, not past tense. God sees you through a father's eyes. If my daughter Brittany were sitting here, I would tell you that she's the most beautiful girl on the face of the earth because through my eyes, she is. And that's what uh, the Father, Heavenly Father sees when he looks at you. He sees a masterpiece. He wants you to see what he sees. He wants you to see you through his eyes but why don't you feel that way? You know, for some of you, it's because you've never connected with a father's love. You've never actually stopped and said, God, I have really messed things up. You have created me as a masterpiece, but I have done things that broke your heart and messed me up and messed others up, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You've never come to that point of repentance. And today could be your day. For some of you, it's because you aren't seeing yourself through God's eyes. You're, you're looking in the mirror and seeing a distorted image. And today may be the day that God opens your eyes to see what a masterpiece you are. And for some of you, you just need to experience restoration. You have been hurt, and you have hurt. And today, you need to do God to do what only he can do. And take your broken and damaged life and recreate it into the work of art that he created you to be. Would you guys let me pray for you today? Father, you are, you are the master artist. Father, this morning, even as I here in the low country, drove across the bridge at Breach Inlet and saw your son come up over the water, saw the sunrise and the beach and the waves, I thought, oh, what an artist. And yet you say that's not your best work. You say that I'm your best work. You say that we are your best work. You're just warming up, but we are your masterpiece. Lord, I pray for those who just don't see that in themselves. Lord, there's some here that have never experienced what it means for the master to love and restore them. And I pray today, even, even right now, Lord, they just say a simple prayer that says, Father, I'm, I'm sorry for my past. I commit my future to you. Lord, I pray for those who are lonely and hurt and broken. I pray that they will see themselves through your eyes. And Lord, that they will experience the restoration that only the master can do. Lord, we just commit the rest of this morning to you and the work that you're going to do in each life. And Lord, I thank you for it in your name. Amen.